Hello and welcome. This is the Nutritionist webinar. For those of you who are keeping track and those of you who may have lost track, today is Thursday, May 14th, and it is still the year 2020. I'm Marianne Fessenden from AMTS. We have a great talk with Dr. Bill Stone coming up. I have a few details to take care of first. We have pre-recorded the presentation for convenience of the presenter. We will take live questions, which he will answer at the end of the webinar. These educational webinars are multinational. I am pleased to welcome several co-hosts during the question sessions. If you are catching the afternoon session, I am always joined by Paula Torillo from Argentina. You may also hear questions from Elena Bonfante in Italy, Sean Lee for China, Vadim Bekchabnikov in Russia, and Marcelo Ramos in Brazil. We welcome their questions, and it gives an opportunity for consideration of viewpoints of concerns in different farming systems around the world. Depending on how you're listening, you can submit queries through me or one of my attending co-hosts. We will read them and ask the presenter for you. Later, a complete recording of the archived webinars, as well as the question and answer sessions for each, will be available on the AMTS website. For those of you who would listen to the webinars whilst driving, if you are still driving, we have converted the videos to MP3 files that can be downloaded for offline listening. Those podcasts can be found at the Ag Model System website under the Webinars tab or Resources tab. Today we're joined by Dr. Bill Stone, who serves as the Director of Ruminant Technical Services for Diamond V. He received his DVM at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and his PhD in Applied Dairy Nutrition from Cornell University. His primary areas of interest are dairy cattle nutrition and feeding management, forage management, and the identification of bottlenecks in dairies. It's great to have Bill join us today. His topic is minimizing variation between formulated and consumed rations a key to enhanced herd performance. I listened to the webinar as we were recording last week. I think you're going to find this a valuable one. Please now enjoy Dr. Stone's presentation. Remember to jot down any questions you have during the presentation and type them in the Q&A or chat windows. We'll have an opportunity for him to answer those questions after the presentation. Hi everyone. Thanks a lot for joining me today. And I get to share with you some really interesting information. Today we're going to look at ways to minimize variation between formulated and consumed rations. And this is really important because it's a, truly a key to enhance herd performance. There's a lot of different areas that can be evaluated and that influence this whole area of consistency in the TMR. And those areas include forage and feed analyses, making sure that they're accurate and truly reflect the feeds that are being fed. We always need to use accurate ingredient dry matters. And for many of our feeds, those dry matters actually change on a daily basis. Maybe not hugely, but they change some. And we need to have a system in place to make sure that we're using the correct dry matter. It's really important to prep forages before feeding. Get them all ready to go so that we're feeding this really good, consistent forage. And we'll be spending more time on that. We won't be spending much time on the areas in black. We're going to focus really on the areas in blue here. We need a feeder that's going to do a great job of accurately preparing a load of feed. Uh, TMR audits are something Diamond V started many years ago to help ensure that the mixture wagon and that whole feeding process is consistent and uh, 
is being used and is working properly. We'll spend quite a bit of time in that area. There are different techniques to minimize sorting. Of course, we want cows to eat that TMR that's been put together and not uh, give them the option to eat whatever they may want. And finally, we need really good bunk management. We need to make sure that that feed is freely available to cows along the entire length of the bunk all throughout the day. So those are the big areas. Big areas in making sure that that formulated ration is the same one getting consumed by the cow. And now let's start digging in deeper. On every dairy, it's really important to have bunker management goals. And we gotta make sure that our people working with the bunkers know what those goals are and that they're excited about accomplishing them. If there's any removed, if there's any spoiled silage, we don't want our cows to eat it. So first we wanna to try to minimize it from occurring. And then if it does happen, we wanna to try to safely get it out of that bunker and not get into the cows. We wanna have a vertical, smooth, tight silage face. We don't want one that's been loosened up that air might infiltrate back into that silage. Or if it's really uneven, it's uh, that much more surface area for moisture to be collecting on as well. So a nice, tight, smooth, vertical silage face. We always want to remove enough silage to make sure that it's all good, fresh feed. We don't want any heating. And there's not a set recommendation for that. That amount of silage that needs to be removed will completely vary by the silo. It depends on how tightly it's packed, what that silage density is. It depends on what that VFA profile is, and also probably what the natural level of molds and yeasts are in that silage. It can be as little as one to two inches, and it might be as much as two feet, depending on all those different factors. But once that silage is down, we want to mix it up good. We'll spend more time on this, but we want to make sure that we have a consistent silage, and that's why we would do some pre-mixing prior to feeding. Our goal is not to have any loose silage at the end of feeding. We don't want silage sitting there for potentially another 24 hours gathering moisture or just having that much more oxygen exposure and potentially starting some um, undesirable microbial growth. So no loose silage at the end of feeding. And finally, the leading edge of plastic on top of that bunker needs to be weighed down properly. It needs to be removed at least twice a week as a good thumb rule. Well, this, this big bunker silo, we can see where they have defaced it. Um, they've taken that defaced feed, they've pushed it up into this pile, they've done some pre-mixing of it, and they're trying to make sure that everything across this great big silo has all been mixed together and now is uniform. One little watch out, you can see they couldn't deface all the way to the bottom. And we certainly would not want, after this is used up, to have that feeder come along and scrape up this uh, feed that they couldn't deface and use that to make a load of feed. because. This part right here doesn't represent everything else throughout that silo. This is a, just an example of a really well bunkered, really well managed corn silage bunker. You can see this nice, tight, straight, vertical face. There was a little bit of spoilage here that's been removed. We've got tire to tire density all along that uh, plastic. So we're not gonna get air infiltration back there. So good job, dairy producers. Uh, another silo here, this is just a safety watch out. Uh, I was 
by this bunker and we've just been up close to it. We walked away and boom, down came this pile of corn silage right here. We always want to be really careful when we're by bunker silos. And ideally, we don't even have to go immediately up to that face. Ideally, we can look at forage that's been removed and is at a safe distance away from the bunker. If you must go up there, look very carefully. Don't go up underneath an overhang, for example. Don't go up here and stand and have a conversation. You go there for a short a time period as possible and then exit the area. So always be careful around bunker silos. This is an excellent uh, defacer. It's one that a lot of dairies in our area use. It's called a Fritch defacer. Big rugged piece of equipment that will rapidly remove silage from a bunker. Another example, an easy rake defacer. It works particularly well with large corn silage bunkers, but it's a, essentially a heavy piece of equipment that in combination with hydraulics allows it to come right down through this silage and essentially rip that silage out. What's interesting, as long as your density has been good in packing, all these little ridges are still tightly packed. They're not loosened up in that removal process. That's another good piece of equipment particularly, again, for corn silage. Well, the, the reason, again, I really mentioned doing that pre-mixing of forages is that there's variation throughout that bunker. This is a survey that we did in New York several years ago where we went to a number of bunker silos and just uh, basically dug a trench in that bunker with a backhoe. And we looked at silage removed from the upper third or middle third or lower third of the bunker. And we wanted to mimic what would happen if a feeder went up to that bunker with a loader bucket and got a whole loader bucket from one region of the silo as opposed to the entire face. And the bottom line is just in dry matter variation in corn silage, on the average, there's about a 10% variation in dry matter. So for example, from 31% to 34% between regions in the bunker in haylage is typically larger, about double that, at about 20% variation in dry matter. This can make for a, a big difference, and we'll touch back on that, but I'll, I'll do it right now. So just for example, if a TMR was supposed to be at 54.5% average forage level in that TMR, and if the feed are fed by regions, as opposed to across that entire face, then from one load to the next, that amount of forage could vary from 51 to 59%. And that's only looking at these dry matter changes. Of course, there's changes in fiber levels, in protein levels, VFA profiles as well. So that's why we always want to do this pre-mixing. So this area again, excellent job. There was some spoilage here. It's probably because this is a little bit too steep of a drive over pile. We probably didn't get as good of a packing on top of this pile as it should have. So you can see the spoilage there. It's been removed, but then it's been defaced and pushed up into this pile, it's been mixed. And now we have a homogeneous uh, pile of forage to feed as opposed to a variable one if we fed by regions. Here is a example of that being done where we have that forage, it's been defaced, and now it's being pushed up and pre-mixed there. Doing it again. Well, the next one. Okay, 
Another example of a gold standard, excellent plastic management. We see tire to tire contact, and we see these gravel filled silage bags along the leading edge of the plastic. You can see Silostop is being used here. That's only 5% is permeable to oxygen, the standard plastic. So Silostop covered by um, dual layer uh, plastic on top of that, and then sealed so no air can migrate back underneath that plastic. Another excellent example here, tire to tire, uh, contact tied together, no opportunity for air to infiltrate back underneath that top cover. What happened here? Well, most likely it's some crazy animal that was uh, after some other rodent underneath this plastic, but ripping big holes in this plastic. And of course, that's gonna lead to lots of oxygen infiltration and spoilage then as well. What's interesting is that often this will be happening on a dairy and no one in management knows that there's all of this rot on top of the bunker. And that's why I'm spending some time on this. We need to pay attention to this. Here's a, a massive pile of forage again, and we see what this looks like on top. These are someone's footprints here in this total rotted feed, and that's all being fed to the cows. That's gonna lead to some ruminal indigestion, some loss of efficiencies that we don't wanna have happen in our dairy. So we don't want this stuff going to our cows. Obviously not tire to tire contact along this entire edge of this plastic. So it's really easy for air to infiltrate back and that will get this spoilage process going. Here's an example of what that will do. This is the temperature right underneath the plastic. So right at the, the edge of the plastic where it's been cut off, 65 degrees Fahrenheit. At the edge of the feed out face where it's been exposed to oxygen now for a few days, it's 105 degrees. And with that, then of course, we start to have the growth of molds and other undesirable microbes that can upset that rumen flora in our cows so that they're not, it's not being as efficient or fermenting feedstuffs as efficiently as what we would like. And also simply reduce dry matter intake too and enhance spoilage of that TMR. So for all those reasons, we wanna keep this <coughs> stuff out of the feed. Here it is in the corn silage that was gonna be fed to these cows. So that's top spoilage that was on top of the bunker, not removed. Now it's in the corn silage and it's going into that TMR. So this good hardworking guy, he says, I don't want my cows to get that. So I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna pitch it off. So <clears throat> it's a good job there. The only problem is this, is a, this isn't really safe, is it? This fella unfortunately slips and falls. That's a long ways down. So <clears throat> our first approach is to try to, as much as possible, minimize this from ever happening. And then if it does happen, we need to put together a safe approach to remove that spoilage. At the very least, we would wanna have a loader bucket right here with his colleague operating that right here so that he, he can't fall. So that would be the very first approach. Better one even would be to have an entire cable going over the top of that bunker and then have a restraint system that went from that worker to that cable so that that worker couldn't fall off and get hurt. Or even better, now I know not every bunker is like this, but this is a pretty, pretty neat setup where they simply cut plastic 
from one end to the other. They had enough room here now that they could grab that plastic with this big piece of equipment and then pull the whole thing back. So they've got a cable that's tied around here, pulling, sliding all this plastic and all the tires off. Now as it's sliding off, they can stack the tires up and that would be a really neat way to do it. And of course, not all of our operations are set up to do that, but it's pretty interesting. Okay, we've got those forages all together and we're starting to prepare that load of feed. We wanna have that whole loading system set up so that it's going to be easy for the feeder to do it and also set up so that hopefully minimizing shrink as much as possible. This is a nice example of the feed truck parked in a recessed area so the feeder has really good visibility of, of that entire um, loading operation here. This one is a little bit um, dusty and obviously we're losing a, a lot of likely more expensive mineral-based components here off into off into the breeze. And it's why we wanna to try to have a few things here. If we can do some things for that mix that these minerals came in so that it's a bit wetter, it might be mineral oil, it might be part of a bigger mix with molasses or some tallow, but something to make it a bit wetter so we don't have as much dust. And the next one is of course, always thinking about wind and how can we minimize wind where our loading is being done. So this dairy made a windbreak area here where here's their commodity shed and they put this 90 degree angle loading area in so that they could load more undercover and again minimize particularly wind but of course um, rain is minimized as well. Sometimes even with uh, bins and downspouts we'll have examples where feed will be discharging right from the upper part of the auger. And then as it's coming down into the mixer wagon, there's a great opportunity for blowing to occur. Uh, I've seen people use like this piece of drainage tile here, but it can sometimes catch on equipment and get ripped off. So this dairy made an in interesting little setup. They've got, these are inner tubes, obviously. Inside here, there's PEX tubing. That's the like hot water tubing that would go in a concrete slab. It's bolted on either side of this ditch discharge chute. There's a big clamp around this, and that PEX tubing holds this inner tube apart so that the feed can easily flow down and through it. This, of course, won't catch on anything, and it flexes if the tractor cab or a mixer wagon um, wall hits it. So I thought that was a neat example of farmer ingenuity. This is a dairy I got to visit in Japan for any one from Japan visiting. This is a really, really well-run dairy operation where I challenge you to look for the shrink. And basically there essentially wasn't any. Here's all their grains in these upright bins and the feeder pulls into this whole loading area, pulls a chain that opens up the chute door up here. Now the feed drops down through these, um, basically again, these kind of sleeves and into the mixer wagon. We've got windscreen, material here on either side of this structure. And again, look at the complete lack of shrink. So a really nice, interesting loading system here. Well, if we think about our milking systems and our feeding systems, 
With our milking systems, we typically have a lot of systems in place to make sure that that milking operation is running properly. Because we know how important it is. We'll have milker training, and milkers are routinely trained on that milking routine so that it's done properly all the time. We'll have equipment that's evaluated on a regular basis, making sure that, for, you know, for example, the vacuum level is right, the pulsators are working right, um, et cetera. And we do proper equipment maintenance. We might be changing liners every, whatever, 1,200 or 1,600 milkings. We make sure the water heater is working properly and the temperature is where it's supposed to be, that the vacuum regulator is working properly. We do all those things because we know how important that milking system is. But often with the feeding system, well, yep, the uh, mixture wagon delivered feed today. We're good to go. Everything's operating properly. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. To help with that, that whole evaluation of the feeding system approach, over the last several years, Diamond V worked to develop a TMR audit system. And again, that's really designed to evaluate how that TMR is being prepared and delivered. We want to make sure it's as consistent as possible from one end of the bunk to the other. So to do that, with this TMR audit approach, what we do is have a, a load of feed that's been delivered here, for example, to this group of cows. And then we take 10 samples of feed from the first feed that was discharged from the mixture wagon down to the last feed that was discharged. And Again, we're trying to sample this feed every 10% of the way that it was discharged here along the bunk. Of course, it's important to have this TMR be consistent from one end to the other because first of all, we want it to reflect that ration that was formulated. But the other reason is that when cows come up and eat, they typically eat within a region all the time. Like here's where these, these white cows live, right in this area, and they probably lie down over here and eat primarily from this part of the bunk. And these cows over here primarily eat from this region of the bunk. So again, that's a real reason why we want it to be good and consistent from one end to the other. <clears throat> well, on this dairy that we just looked at, this is with their, their pre-fresh cows. And just looking at this, you can see there's some challenges here. We got big clumps of hay here that aren't properly mixed in there. So now we got an example of if this cow doesn't want to eat that hay. Well, she doesn't have to. Or if she only wants to eat more hay, well, she has that option. We don't want to give cows that option. This is what one of those screenings looked like from this um, pre-fresh ration. Now, Here's those 10 samples that we collected from one end of the bunk to the other of this, this pre-fresh ration. They were, each of those samples were run through the Penn State particle separator. And this is the percent of particles on a weight basis here that were on the top screen or the middle or the pan. And we only use the two screen and the pan Penn State particle separator versus the three screen, uh, pr primarily so that we have a sufficient amount of particles on each of the screens to have a good uh, coefficient of variation. Okay, so there, again, here we are from, from one end of the bunk to the other, those 10 samples, and here's the average. And let's just follow along, let's say the middle particles. And we obviously see, well, in all these particles, they're bouncing around a lot. 
we calculate a mean for the middle screen, it's 29.7%. And then we also calculate a coefficient of variation. And a coefficient of variation is essentially how much on average do these different measurements that we took along this bump vary from the mean. Okay, so we're looking at how much variation there is from the mean along all these samples that were taken. Our goal is to have that CV be for the middle screen and the pan less than two and a half percent. And for this dairy, you can see that we're generally pretty darn close to that. Let me explain this a little bit better. There's four loads of feed that were evaluated here. This is the amount of the TMR on the top screen in each of those four loads and the CV associated with that. And here's the middle screen and here's the pan. We focus really on that middle screen and pan because often the top screen is such a small amount that you, the CV is always going to be larger. It takes very little variation if there's only five and a half percent on something to have a relatively larger CV. So we focus more on this, again, this middle screen and the pan. Our goal is less than about two and a half percent. You can see this dairy is doing pretty darn good. It could do a bit better. And we see where things are really bad, we're with that group that we looked at with the pre-fresh cows. <clears throat> so there's definitely some room for improvement there. Well, here's a, another example of a TMR. Again, one end of the bunk to the other. Those are almost completely straight lines. And that's saying that that particle size distribution from one end of the bunk to the other is the same. By the way, the particle size distribution, we've compared that to other measures of the TMR, for example, the protein levels or the mineral levels, and we found it to be very reflective. So it, it, it's a good proxy of how consistent that TMR is. And it's something we can do on the dairy that day, share with the dairy producers and the feeders, and make changes, hopefully, to help um, correct any issues. So the load that we just looked at here, those nice straight lines, here are their CVs. Remember, we wanted to be less than that two and a half percent. And boy, they sure as heck are doing it, aren't they? The highest is only 2.4%. So a really good, consistent TMR. This was in a twin screw vertical mixer wagon. Well, our goals, again, for the CV levels in uh, these TMRs, ideally less than two and a half percent for that middle screen in the pan. That's probably about the top 20 or 25 percent of TMRs. It's actually, we see it getting better. And we think it's getting better very honestly because we, we as an industry have focused more on this. So that's an example of TMR mixing basics are being done properly and the equipment is in good shape. We start moving up. So now our CVs are between two and a half and 4%. That's probably the whole, you know, upper maybe 50% of all TMRs. And if we improve that, we take that 4% down to two and a half. Well, we can't say we always see an improvement on the dairy, an obvious improvement, but it makes sense always to try to make it be as consistent as we can. However, as things start to get basically uh, more variable, so CV is above 4%. And now if we can bring that back down to where it should be, this is where we've seen more obvious improvements on the dairy where it might be more milk or it might be improved milk fat or it might be 
reduction in cases of indigestion because again that TMR that we want those cows to be consuming is being delivered. We got to make sure they're consuming it right. We got to make sure there's not sorting going on, but at least we're getting it delivered now. Here's another thing to keep in mind, some TMR mixing basics. Feed particles mix when falling together at the same time. Okay, so feed particles mix and they're falling together at the same time. And any ingredient or process that interferes with this will affect TMR consistency. Well, this is what you call a simple and they have weighed out the different ingredients for this load of feed. They put them in this pile. Now they're coming in with this payloader and they're picking up the feed. They're gonna pick it up, watch this, and they're gonna dump it. They're gonna do that five times. And we see these feed particles falling together at the same time. And again, he's gonna do this again. And after this, this is gonna be, um, loaded into a wagon that is simply a, a transfer wagon with a, a system to bring the feed forward and then, and then auger it out into the bunk. So there's some mixing when that is done as well, but I'm gonna show you how well this works. It's really pretty interesting. Here it is right here, mixed with a payloader, turning it five times and then delivered with a delivery box. And obviously those are some super good consistent lines. So the point is not to get rid of your mixture wagon, but the point is feed particles mix when they're falling together at the same time. And we wanna make sure that whatever mixing device that we're using, if it's a twin screw vertical mixture wagon, here's a horizontal auger reel mixture wagon, that it's being used properly and is working properly. Well, our <clears throat> within Diamond V, we've identified these top 10 factors that cause TMR variation. And we're going to run through this list, but first just to um, review them with you, we're going to dis discuss equipment wear and how important that is, mix time after the last ingredient's been added to the TMR, load size, the levelness of the mixer during loading and mixing primarily, I should say here, and mixing, the loading position in the mixer box, hair straw, straw quality and processing, loading sequence, liquid distribution, the vertical mixer auger speed, and if hay restrictor plates are being used in vertical mixers. We're gonna run through these a little bit. So equipment wear, first thing to think about, is the maintenance program on your mixer wagon as rigorous as a program for your milking equipment? You know what, I bet it's not. And if it isn't, get your book out. Get your mixer wagon book out and take a look at it. And what are you supposed to be doing for routine maintenance and uh, keep on top of it. The primary wear points on different mixers with vertical mixers is the kicker plates, the augers, the mixer tub, and knives if they're needed and used. With horizontal auger mixers, it's typically the augers and the tub. And finally, with auger reels, it's the auger, the tub, and the reel. This is actually a, a picture from the first TMR audit I did. It's on about a 1200 cow dairy. And this mixture wagon had delivered the load of feed. This is how much feed's left over in it. And if you look at it closer, these augers, they look pretty thin there um, along this auger. That should be really thick metal. That's, that's thin. And that's a sign it's probably really worn quite a bit. And then 
This is called the leading edge of the auger. This is my old BlackBerry phone. It's about three inches wide. Well, there's supposed to be something called a kicker plate on this piece of equipment. It's a piece of metal that comes up and sticks up here. And it's supposed to be within three eighths of an inch of the wall of this mixture wagon. Now, when this auger is turning, the kicker plate comes around and it, it acts like a plow and it moves that feed away from the wall of the mixture wagon. Okay, so it's making a void here. As it's moving away from the wall, that allows the feed that the auger is, is rising up, you know, bringing up to come down along the side. And it's these particles now that are moving, that are falling together at the same time, that will allow mixing to occur. Well, here's an example of kicker plates. And again, this is the old worn out one. Uh, it's supposed to be way out here close to this wall. It's worn way back here. This is when they replaced it, welded this new metal on here, and now it's close to the wall, so it's going to be functioning as it should be. Sometimes producers will try to slow down that wear and weld on hardened steel along the leading edge of the auger and along the kicker plate. The so it's, a, it's not a bad idea. But the watch out is, if you get a lip of metal here, that lip of metal will hold feedback and that can impede that whole mixing process. So just be careful you don't have a big lip of metal from your hardened steel you put on there. That would be the caution. Okay, this is that mixer wagon we looked at where I had my, my phone in the wagon. And from the outside, boy, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? It's got pretty good paint. Looks like a good truck. That should be doing its job. Well, now we're gonna watch that mixer wagon. Okay, we're gonna take a look at it. Mixing. And, oh, you think about it. Does that, looks like it. does that look like it's mixing properly? We see feed going around in a circle here. You see a little movement back here, kind of going up and down. And then you see this mountain here, this feed not moving, that feed not moving. That's not mixing at all. So that's, again, a combination of these augers that have really worn and the missing kicker plates. And no one on this 1200 cow dairy has any idea that this is how their equipment is operating. So here's one key point. Sometimes you can simply look at the mixer wagon, look at this load of feed that's being mixed like this, and you get an idea, is this system working properly or not? If you see this, you know it's not working properly. And now you have to, well, something we always do is look inside the mixer wagon when it's empty. And of course, that tractor is shut off and that feeder knows you're in there and it's really nicer if they even have the key removed. Okay, so you're, you're being very careful, but you're gonna go in and you're gonna look at all parts of that mixer wagon. You're gonna determine why isn't it mixing properly. Again, this is what we, this is the reason why you're missing thicker plate and really worn augers. And this is what that TMR looked like from that load of feed. That's not very consistent, is it? We've got, bouncing all over the place, just in any way, poorly mixed load of feed. Now, here's kind of the, the flip side. This is a another vertical mixture wagon, twin, uh, twin auger, and can have you watch this and look throughout this load of feed now. And what you're seeing is aggressive, 
mixing, aggressive, moving, complete lack of dead regions. This kind of volcano coming up from those augers. Down below that feeds being removed from the, the wall down at the bottom of the mixer wagon that's allowing the feed from the upper part to be flowing down. So really good mixing action on this mixer wagon. And here's the Penn State particle separator shakeout from that low feed. That's, I mean, we got a little inflection here in the very first sample, but everything else is just uh, super. So what did that look like? Here's our comparison. Here's our first one that we looked at with the worn vertical mixer. And interestingly, here, this is the, uh, the particle size average from the top, middle, and the bottom. 17.8 and 17.7, and you know, they're fairly, fairly similar across these two different, completely different farms, different mixers, et cetera. But now here's the CV. 36% in the top screen, 11 and 6.2. Here's our mixture that's doing a super job, 4.6, 1.1, 1.2. That's just no comparison. And if you want to be a good dairy, you, know, you, you want to do a good job for your dairy clients, this is where you want to be. So you want to be figuring out if you're anything like over here, what's wrong? How can I get to where I'm supposed to be? Okay, really, next one, really simple one. Mix time after the last ingredient. And we need to have a timer there on the mixer wagon, or at the very least, the feeder needs to be using a timer on their phone or another set, set type of timer. And it's after the last ingredient's been added. It isn't, for example, for putting water in, we start the timer when we start to add water. It starts when the last of the water or the whey has been added to the mixer wagon. That's when the timer starts. The other one is, we don't mix for as long as it takes us to drive from the silos up to the barn because speeds can vary, levelness will vary, distances will vary, and because of all that, times will vary. And the mixing uh, ability of the mixer wagon will vary based on the levelness and speed of the augers, et cetera. So we wanna be in that stationary spot, level spot, set mix time with a timer so we know it's done properly. The amount of time will vary. It's typically three and a half to five minutes, but that will vary depending on what kind of shape that equipment is in, what that load size is, uh, potentially ingredients, but usually three and a half to five minutes. We'll, we'll do it. Okay, here's the same mixer wagon. And here's a load of feed that was mixed for three and a half minutes versus five minutes. And we're gonna come down here and look at our CVs, 18.5, 3.1, 4.8. 8.2, with that one and a half minutes of additional mix time. So one and a half minutes, even if they're making, making 10 loads a day, that's 15 more minutes for the feeder to spend mixing to get much better mix consistency. So obviously a great investment of time. Okay, load size. That can certainly make a difference in how well that mixer is operating. And here's this guy loading this load of feed. This was in Minnesota, and it's a cold day. And this guy doesn't want to be outside long, so he's heading for that cab. But anyway, that's a full, full mixture, and obviously we're losing some, losing some feed as well. Another example, full 
too full of mixer. We actually see some feed coming out of that mixer wagon. It's like a really slow mix. Boy, that stuff on the top isn't really being incorporated with the feed down below there, is it? So you got to question how good of a mix that's going to be. <clears throat> and now we got this guy. This is kind of an amazing one. Let's see here. So obviously it looks a little full, doesn't it? And at least he's letting it mix more. He's trying to get it mixed. We know it's over full. There's only one problem. And the problem is the recipe calls for more hay. And so the feeder is going to do his best to do what he's supposed to do and get that right amount of hay in there. And look, he's going to be careful. He's going to work to try to get that weight just right. So he's trying to do his job right, he or she. Oh, a little bit more, a little bit more. Good, got it. Okay, so that's obviously a problem. Now, what happened here, most, most likely, that feeder didn't enter this ration into the feed management software. Someone else did. And either they had to increase the number of animals that they're feeding for, or they went from a um, more dense to a less dense ingredient, for example, haylage to dry hay. And they didn't think about without lower density ingredient how much more space it would take. So it's an example of poor communication. That feeder, of course, has to communicate with whoever is uh, controlling the size of the loads to make sure that the appropriate load size is being made and that communication wasn't being done. But also, of course, the person entering it needs to be thinking of that as well. Well, here's a, an overloaded real auger mixer wagon. You see, first, it should be loading from this side where the auger is, but in addition to that, this feed is moving inside this reel. It's like it's in a drum. And the feed locked inside this drum, it's not going to fall and mix together at the same time. Only the feed in the very outer aspect over here is falling. Everything else is locked up inside that drum. And that's going to make for an inconsistent load of feed. As opposed to this one, now, we see a lot of falling action. It's a wet, heavy TMR, but there's a lot of falling action going on there, and that's going to help to get that mixed properly. So here's same mixture wagon, overfilled or normal filled. What happened with our CVs here? We went from a 31.6, 7.4, and 5.2 down to 19.4, and then a 2.7 and 2.6. So really essentially met our goals there by making a bit smaller load size for that mixer. All right, another area, levelness of the mixer during loading. This is actually, it can be very important and I'm gonna give you a great example of it. Uh, this one's obvious, right? Big slope there, that feed will be going to the back of the mixer wagon. How the heck can it move forward with that big slope uh, in reverse like that? So that's an obvious unlevel area. This one, this is a TMR audit I had done and um, it's a Treely, the equipment was in really good shape. I thought this will, this will mix fine. But you look at this, it's a little bit unlevel and the mixture's been running and since it's unlevel and sloping forward, the feed moves forward in the mixer wagon, okay? So it's moving forward, obviously. It's hard for it, it's not moving backward. We're not getting proper mixing throughout that mixer. And also, they were putting haylage in later in the mix rather than early. And we see here some haylage clumps. 
And this is this is what the TMR looked like. This guy was posing for the camera here. But anyway, not a good consistent TMR. They, they fed the same ration to um, two groups of first lactation animals, and that load wasn't as big as when that ration was delivered to two groups of mature cows. Okay, so this is to the first lactation heifer groups, and this is what it looked like. And you see some, some movement here, not real bad, but some inconsistencies there. It was a lot worse when that mixer wagon was totally full, and that's the picture we just saw with that feed moving forward. Now, let's look at the, the pan here, that's in green. We've got 40% of the TMR in the pan for the first four samples that were taken. The fifth one went up to 50%, and now they delivered all the feed to that first pen. They went to the second pen, and they got essentially 50%. Uh, it's, the pan is all grain. So essentially, this group was getting 50% grain. This group was on the same ration, and 80% of their bunk was getting 40% grain. Okay? Now, what they did on the dairy was change the mix order so that the haylage went in earlier instead of later and turn the mix around throughout loading. Didn't have a defacer here, and that's one more reason for the haylage clumps. But we're getting those haylage clumps broken up more throughout that um, loading process. And then they modified the hitch so that the hitch, uh, so the mixer could be leveled. Okay, so they did some modification on the hitch. And this is what the TMR looked like after that. Uh, here's this hitch modification so that this mixer wagon, again, now is going to be leveled. And this is what the TMR looked like now for that cow load of feed. Remember, we only had 40% grain here, then it bumped up to 50%. And now we see we're 46.6, down to 44.9, but that's pretty darn consistent there. When we looked at CVs now for um, these loads, so here's that, we saw that first lactation load that looked pretty good. CVs were 2.9 and 3.2. This is the load for those cows where it varied from one pen to the next, CV of 4 and 10.1. And then this is after we changed that loading order so haylage went in earlier and leveled out that mixer wagon. So 1.1 and 2.1. Now this was a this is a low investment for the dairy, right? Changing mixing order, that's really low investment. The, the hitch modification took their shop guys some time, but not not much. And now we got this really good consistent PMR for our cows. So often these changes we make aren't big money changes. It's um, just some maintenance things or other, you know, mixed time, make, making it level, low investment items that can really enhance that consistency. Okay, loading position in the mixer box. Really simple one. And Pat's actually gives you an arrow to shoot for. Aim for this area. Go for that one. And here's this guy. I mean, he's loading over one auger. And this is a twin screw auger. Well, it still might work. I mean, the mixture wagons, they're designed to move feed between these augers, but there's no sense in challenging the system. Always we wanna to try to load so that we're, as much as possible, distributing that feed already across that mixture wagon. So here's that feeder delivering that feed properly lined up in the center of that mixture wagon. So again, just help the equipment to do its job as it's designed to do.
Astral quality and processing. Well, if, you, if you're counting on your mixer wagon to process long forages, then of course it's critical that those knives are maintained properly. And when knives start to get dull, they don't do their job, no surprise there. And that's gonna to lead to that longer forage, which won't be mixed properly, and that cows can easily sort out. Most larger dairies though, they're not counting on the mixture wagon to process the forage. That can be uh, an expensive way to do it. It's more wear on your equipment. It takes more time to do it. It takes more fuel to do it. So often there's other systems that are used to process forage. This is an example of a hay buster being used. It's a um, hammer mill essentially that does a really good job, especially with straw. With a softer forage, like a soft grass hay, that's always hard to, to process, but with a more brittle forage like straw, it does a good job of it. This is a rotal grind, also does a good job of it. I just wanted to show a hay buster. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, on a big flatbed truck with a like excavator loading it. So just, a, just another hay buster again. This is grass hay, does an excellent job of, of processing. So now, now we don't need the mixer wagon to process that long forage. The mixer wagon's only mixing that forage and that's, that's an advantage. So that's usually what we like, like to see there. Um, one little thumb rule, how long should that forage be? One thumb rule is about one third, one third, one third on the top screen, middle screen and pan, the Penn State particle separator. And that top third on the top screen, that should be, I mean, absolute length would be two inches or five centimeters. Ideally, it's probably two and a half to five centimeters, one to two inches, where we'd want that to be lengthwise in terms of maximal length on that top screen. <clears> okay, <throat> hey, loading sequence. Well, that's kind of a one that de it depends. Depends on the mixture wagon type, the ingredient type, Within ingredients, it's density, particle size, and dry matter, the inclusion level of that ingredient, and convenience. Where the heck is it located on the farm, and where does it fix, fit into my whole um, loading sequence? So convenience sometimes plays a factor as well. It depends on equipment maintenance. The better shape your equipment is in, the more you can get away with. If it's uh, more worn equipment, boy, um, ingredient order becomes more important. And mixing time. You have a, basically you can cover some things up with a longer mixing time and uh, vice versa. Great equipment, you might not need as much mixing time to really get things mixed properly. So mix order is something where it depends, but in general, our lower density large feed particles are loaded first. So if we have straw, hay, haylage, that's a type of feed to generally go first. Then our drier, more dense feeds, are coming after that. So our grains being added, followed by other, um, let's say wetter feeds like corn silages, um, wet, wet brewers, wet gluten feed, and finally liquids with molasses or whey or water generally going in last. So for example, again, hay or haylage going in first. Um, one exception would be with a real mixer. Grain usually goes in first there. If you put in a big uh, wad of hay, like a big section of hay bale, it could potentially uh, jam up underneath the reel. So that's why usually grain goes in first. Followed by dry grains, any hand adds that might have to be uh, added, they're gonna go in as early as possible. Ideally, you only wanna add a hand add when it makes up 
no more than 2% of the feed in that mixer. Okay, so I've got another example of that coming up, but no more than 2% of the total feed in that mixer. That's where you wanna to try to be putting any hand add in, so early on. Again, followed by our wetter feeds like corn silage, and then any wet byproduct feeds or, or liquids. When should low inclusion ingredients be added? Well, tell me, tell me you think it should be added here. A full load of feed has been made. Some dry fat that the nutritionist wanted to put a little extra energy in that TMR. So they had that extra dry fat on the dairy and they, they put it in there. And obviously, that's not going to mix properly. You think about the little bit of fat going on top here, and we're going to mix it for a few more minutes. We want that distributed all throughout that mix. That's not going to happen. So as I mentioned, we want to put those hands on, hand ads early in the mixing sequence, ideally when they make up less than 2% of the load size when added. And if you can't do that, you need to think about, was there another way I can include that hand ad so it's part of a mix? Or can I dilute it so it's a larger feeding uh, amount, amount as fed per cow, so that it does make up that 2% of the weight in the mixer wagon. Liquid distribution. We want to get it across that feed as much as possible. Here's an example of a consistent problem on a dairy. And these are four loads of feed. And this is the weight of, let's take the look at the bottom ingredients. So front, middle, and end of the mixture wagon. We have about 15% on the bottom, and then about 26, and then about 34%. And we see in the middle, it's the inverse. So the next load of feed, there's the same thing happening again. The third load of feed, basically the same thing. And the fourth load of feed, so a consistent inconsistency. And what was going on here, the whey was added on one end of the mixer wagon. The mixer truck wasn't level. It only mixed for one minute or less after the liquid was loaded. And again, they had a situation where the TMR was extremely wet at the front end of the load and then it, when it was dropped and dry at the other end. So here it is, what we're talking about here. Here's this whey being added to one part of the mixer wagon. Now you're counting on that mixer wagon to be mixing everything throughout here. And just looking at this, this TMR looks different one into the other. I see a lot more lighter colored, lighter appearing particles here versus up here. Uh, there's not good movement of feed throughout the mixer. We see kind of a churning action, but not good aggressive mixing action. And we're challenging the system, boy, we're dumping it all this liquid in one spot. So unlevel as well. Several things that we're not happy with with this uh, setup. Well, here's an improvement. <clears throat> this, this dairy has, excuse me, there we go. This dairy has their this liquid being added and it's over a greater part of the mixer wagon. They've got probably maybe 40%. So that's better. It'd be even better if we could get it distributed over even more of that TMR. And this theory has done that. This is whey being added to this load of feed and this whey bar is distributing it over essentially all of that, or at least 80% of that TMR. And this is a really interesting one. This is a dairy that, again, innovative dairy producer, engineer type dairy producer, 
made this system, it was like a liquid manure spreader where the water comes up, hits this plate, and comes raining down on top of this real auger mixer wagon. So it's a Vermont dairy, innovative Vermont dairy producer coming up with a way to add liquid so it's well distributed across the TMR. Vertical mixer auger speed, something that we, we learned about how important that is from a problem that happened on a dairy. And what you want to do, you want to count the revolutions per minute of your vertical augers at the mixing speed for a full load of feed. And sometimes that's a challenge because some mixers have a, um, essentially an automatic transmission that the auger speed will vary based on the load size. So sometimes it's a challenge to do it. But um, it's, it's, an, it's a good thing to try to do there. And let me give you an example why. This was a dairy with a, a triple screw or triple auger vertical mixer wagon. And one of my colleagues had done a TMR audit there. And this speed on uh, the, the augers was a high speed, 42 revolutions per minute um, for this pecan triple screw vertical mixer. And this, the CV, for the um, middle screen in the, in the pan, we're off a little bit here, but it's, it's 3.1 and 2.8. Okay, so 3.1 and 2.8. And they had a problem. Yes, big drop in milk production. You see they're up here in 90 plus pounds of, uh, 93 pounds energy corrected milk, 90 pounds of, of milk and they have this big drop in production. And over time, they asked my uh, colleague to come back out, and he did, and asked, Any, anything change? And, no, we got the same forages. Um, I'm not sure what happened. Although the mixture wagon, the gearbox did go, and we got a new gearbox, and I'm using it the same way. Well, as it turns out, first gear in the old gearbox had 42 RPMs, and first gear in the new gearbox had 28 revolutions per minute, and our CVs had gone up substantially here. And they increased the speed the second gear, made these CVs really small again. And you can see uh, basically what was tied right in with that was the recovery in production. Well, what was interesting here was looking at um, butter, fat, and protein. It followed the exact same course where it was higher and consistent and then dropped lower and became inconsistent with this reduction in auger speed. And here you can see it was 1.8 and 1.9. It didn't show up on the last slide. 1.8 and 1.9 up to 4.6 and 5.4, and then back down to 1.6 and 1.8. Again, high and stable, low and unstable, improving and more stable when we had that mix being more consistent. And MUNs followed that same course of basically stability to instability. And that, that makes sense if you think about a consistent TMR, uh, cows getting the appropriate amount of carbohydrate and protein along the entire length of that bunk compared to cows getting slugs of carbohydrate or protein. And we've got now variation going on in our, in our rumens and leading to variation in TMRs. And we get that corrected, and again, we see MUN stabilizing. So this was really an eye-opener in terms of the importance of auger speed. 
And if you think about it, let's, let's just think for a second here. Let, let's say like a, a tree leaf, for example, often mixes at about 22 revolutions per minute at its mix speed. And so if you mix for four minutes, 22 times four is 88 revolutions per minute, or 88 total revolutions for a four minute mix time. And if you just focused on, okay, I want 88 revolutions, and you went for eight minutes, and now it's only 10 revolutions per minute. Well, if you think about that feed, remember that feed mixes when those particles are moving and falling together. Well, if they're moving extremely slowly, and the feed is rising up in the auger very slowly, then slowly coming down along the edge, it's not aggressively moving and mixing. Okay, so that's why it's important. We get that better mixing action with that more aggressive movement. Well, this is where my colleagues have looked at a bunch of different mixture wagons here, and essentially slow or fast. So I don't have the exact speeds here, but slow or fast. And now what happened with the average CV percent for the middle screen in the pan? And you can see across all these mixture wagons, a big reduction in CVs when that equipment essentially mixed more aggressively, and now those feed particles were mixing properly. So much more consistent TMR when it was mixing properly. Finally, hay restrictor plate settings in vertical mixers. Um, this is an example of <coughs> these restrictor plates. <clears throat> so typically, there's one on the front of the mixture wagon, and then one uh, essentially kitty corner or the opposite direction on the back of the mixture wagon. And this big piece of metal, when it's pushed all the way in, it's just acting to try to force that TMR into the augers, where the augers will have knives on them and it will try to and cut those longer feed particles. Well, if you think about this big piece of metal into that mixer box, it kind of makes sense that it could impede mixing some. And my colleague Tom was evaluating this um, TMR here. Notice this great big dead spot. Well, that's where that restrictor plate is pushed out. And now that feed isn't freely moving, it certainly isn't falling. It's moving really good in some spots, right? But we've created a dead spot with that <clears throat> restrictor plate. So this was this Penta 1120HD. These restrictors are set all the way in. And we're looking at that TMR. And we'll look here at the, the one on the bottom on the pan here. And we're at 50%. And it goes along and it goes bloop, 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 all the way up to 60% here. And we see this reduction in the middle screen. And that was consistently happening across these loads of feed. Finally, they took the restrictor plates, saw, looked in the mixer wagon, saw what we just saw set those restrictor plates halfway in. And if that feed is fully processed, put them all the way in. I mean, make it so they're not uh, doing anything. Let that feed flow freely if you are not trying to use knives in the augers to process that long forage. But look at that difference. And what it did to the CVs, 28, a 6, 8, and a 6, 7, down to an 8, 9, a 1.8, and a 1.7. So super nice, consistent TMR. Okay, another, just watch out. This can happen with, with worn equipment, and it can happen also with equipment that is not being used properly, a feeder going too quickly, not taking time for it to unload. 
This is a, a brand new triple auger, auger Pats vertical mixer wagon. That's the amount of feed that was left over in that mixer wagon after, feeder, after the feeder delivered a load of feed. It's a few thousand pounds. Now, why was that? It wasn't one equipment. It's because the feeder didn't take the time for it to fully discharge. And this is important for a number of, of areas. First, it's dry matter intakes and what was recorded there and what happens with intakes. Um, did that last group get credit for this feed? Will the next group get this feed uh, weight added to their ration? Then think about the diet itself. It was the, if it was the exact same diet, that would be one thing. But what if this was a lactating cow diet and had a lot of alfalfa halage in it? And the next group is the pre-fresh cows, and we don't want all of those minerals or halage, for example, that's in the lactating diet to go to the pre-fresh cows, and now they get this much feed. That's not their diet. Or what if the farm made an on-farm green mix and they didn't completely empty it and end up with a one or 2,000 pounds of feed left in the mixer wagon and the next day the first load of feed they make up is for the fresh cows and there's 2,000 pounds of additional grain in there. So we want to make sure that mixer wagon is in good shape, it's being used properly and it empties properly so we don't have an issue like this. In summary, review the feeding management areas discussed today on your dairy or your client's dairies. And just, there's so many areas that can influence TMR consistency. Uh, within a load and between a load, are there any areas on your dairy or your client's dairies that we need to be improving on? And chances are, there definitely are. So what, what are those areas and what can we do to do a better job? Reduced variation typically leads to improved production and improved cow health, and that's the goal of all of our dairies. So I thank you for your attention. I would be very happy to take any questions or hear any comments that you have at this time. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Bill, for a great webinar. I think it was a super discussion of good management practices, not only from a feeding standpoint, but also brought in some safety. We will get to the questions in a minute. First, let me introduce the next month's speaker and thank my co-hosts and webinar sponsors. Next month, we will be joined by Dr. Jude Capper, an independent livestock sustainability consultant based in the United Kingdom. She is passionate about sustainability issues and the role of animal agriculture in helping to feed a hungry world using fewer resources. Her current research and outreach work in focuses on modeling the environmental and economic impact of livestock production systems. In her professional goal to communicate the importance of livestock industry sustainability, she is on Twitter as at Bovadiva. This webinar is meant to be a companion to the emissions webinar given by Frank Mittler in April. We planned out the nutritionist schedule in late fall 2019. We felt we were being very topical, folks focusing on environmental issues. It is safe to say the world focus has drifted to other areas. Nevertheless, if we go out again, focusing on sustainable practices will be a great benefit. Join us for the presentation followed by a live question and answer sessions on June 11th. The presentation will start at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Before we thank our co-hosts and sponsors, I want to tell you of a short webinar series we are doing partnering with the Canola Council of Canada. We will be completing our three-part webinar series 
highlighting new research findings and practical application of these findings in the dairy feed formulation. We held our first webinar on in this series on March 31st, an interview with Daniel Scothorn, and our second, April 28th, with Dr. Anthony Fasciola. These both can be found on our website under the webinars drop-down, Canola Council of Canada tab. The final webinar in this series will be with Dr. Kenneth Kalsher of the Dairy Forage Research Center on June 2nd at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. For more information and how to sign up, you you can go to the AMTS Coming Events page. As you know, these webinars take a lot of work and cooperation. They are organized and produced by AMTS USA and Global. Our longtime collaborator is Paula Torillo of Afina, who hosts a series as El Webinar del Nutritionista. She receives support from Guermo Lerman, Technal, Rock River Lab in Argentina, Biotur, and Concar. She has the excellent translation skills of Paula Alanis backing her up. We also thank AMTS distributors. In Italy, Elena Bonfante of Dairy Innovations Italia. In China, Sean Lee of Ansitech. In Brazil, Marcelo Hens Ramos, director of 3R Lab, and in Russia, Vadim Bekchevnikov of Novolab. Our webinars are made better by the wonderful questions submitted by Marcos Neves Piera of Universidade Federale de Lavras in Brazil. We are especially thankful to generous sponsors who make it possible for us to get great speakers and manage the program. We thank our gold sponsors, Arm & Hammer Animal Health, makers of cattle feed ingredients that optimize dairy cow health, and the Canola Council of Canada, Learn more about feeding canola at canolamazing.com. Our silver sponsors are Ajinomoto Heartland, superior nutrition through amino acids, makers of Agipro-L, Dairyland Laboratories, and Virtus, maker of Strata with EPA, DHA, Omega-3s, and Prequel with Omega-6s. Our bronze sponsors are Dairy One, Forage Laboratory, Amino Max, Adiseo, Purdue Agribusiness, PMI, and Soychlor. Each of these companies support education and research worldwide. We hope that you will consider them in your formulation decisions. I will now open the floor for questions. English language listeners, I will read your question. Remember to type your question in the Q&A tab or the chat window.